News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show on the Pete of the Show. And uh, third hour underway, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com and Twitter. It's at Pete Callender. Oh, and remember, get the podcast. It's free. It's It's basically the show. We chop out all the commercials and you get a podcast. And they, up, they they come directly to your smartphone or tablet. You don't even have to do anything. They just show up. Like me, basically. Um, so the U.S. Supreme Court denied an appeal by North Carolina General Assembly Republican leaders yesterday, thus ending the uh, legislature's attempt to reinstate its leaders' preferred political districts for North Carolina's congressional elections. That's the story by Will Duran, written for the eye, not the ear, that I was reading. It's the biggest problem. Oh, well, all right, it's not the biggest problem I face, but it is, it's it's annoying. But I read these newspaper reports, and newspaper people write in, you know, god-awful run-on sentences, and uh, radio people write in short, tight sentences. That's... Big difference. The way writing for the ear versus writing for the eye. Anyway, I digress. So these maps that the Supreme Court, so, right, the General Assembly went to the Supreme Court, said, please intervene in this case. It's at the state level. Please intervene. The Supreme Court was like, hmm, no. And so we're stuck with the maps. That's where it was. This was only about the congressional maps because the state legislative races, those maps for the House and Senate, those maps uh, cleared through. They were approved by the lower courts. And the congressional maps were su- were uh, uh, taken to the Supreme Court because of, there's a particular theory, I'm going to get into this theory, um, that the General Assembly was arguing, and it seems like there is enough support to test this again at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, It is called the Independent State Legislature Theory. I'm going to get into that. But first, I'll just just do the details here. The uh, 2022 elections, upcoming in November. We got 14 congressional seats. Will Duran, writing at the News and Observer, uh, says these uh, these are the districts that were drawn using the, quote, outside experts that was basically, uh, you know, they, they, they gave Democrats... More safe seats is what they did. They redrew the lines, and so the likelihood is now an 8-6 split, Republican to Democrat, um, versus what the previous maps were, which were like 11 and 3, 11 Republican, 3 Democrats. And um, they are also less competitive. So they took the, the experts to draw the fair maps. They took districts that were more competitive and turned them into safe seats to ensure Democrats got enough seats. See, because the thing about it, like when you have debates with people about what are and what are not fair maps, they usually have a very difficult time developing or, or detailing criteria. How do you define fair? Define what a fair map is. And one every now and again, you come across this argument that they want to have competitive districts. So anybody can run and anybody could win. Okay, so what happens 
in a year like this year, where everyone is predicting a red wave, and let's assume that that happens. Let's assume the red wave hits. What happens in every one of those competitive districts? The Democrat loses, which means you could end up sending 14 Republican congressmen and zero Democratic congressmen to D.C. And that would engender opposition. You would have people complaining that those are not fair maps then, because fair maps would send a proportionate number of Democrats as it relates to their population in the state or their results on previous elections or their turnout or whatever. Like they, they have all these different ways to try to, to squeeze this balloon basically, but the air is still there. It's still a proportional representation argument and they will use whatever metric they'll squeeze whatever side they need to in order to give them the most seats. That's always been the case, right? It's always been the case that, Okay, well, if I can use the proportional uh, uh, comparison to voter registration, because by voter registration, Democrats have always been higher. It's why they focus so much on voter registration and the turnout, because then the turnout can be used, as it was in our lawsuits in this state. The left used the turnout numbers. But that was because they went and recruited a whole bunch of candidates while telling a court, by the way, that they could not recruit candidates because the gerrymandering makes no one want to run. And then they recruited candidates for literally every race, which then drove the turnout numbers up, which they then used to peg the proportion to. Does that make sense? I know there's like a a lot of moving parts here, but that was the game that was played over the last essentially 10 years. And... Now we got this court-drawn map from the, quote, experts, and they're not competitive seats. But it gives Democrats a barrier, a shield, a little help in what is going to be a very nasty election cycle for them. They were gifted two extra seats in a red wave election. Don't let anybody... Tell you differently. That's what occurred. Oh, and by the way, sometime within the next few days now, unaffiliated will become the number one registration in this state. Unaffiliated voters. I'm an unaffiliated voter. The unaffiliated's passed Republicans back in like 2017 as the second largest group of voters by registration. And now they're about to beat the Democrats who have had six if I remember correctly, I saw Andy Jackson at Civita or uh, the John Locke Foundation. He tracks this. They had six straight weeks of atrophy. They've lost voters six straight weeks. And last week, they finally went positive. You want to take a guess how many voters they, they registered? An increase? One. Really? So essentially, seven straight weeks of no growth. That's what's coming for them, and the courts just gifted them two extra seats. But the General Assembly is going to get to redraw the maps next year. So we got that to look forward to. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so the U.S. Supreme Court denied this appeal by GOP lawmakers yesterday. 
And that ends the redistricting fight. This is a statement from Bob Phillips, the executive director of the Redistricting Reform Group, Common Cause NC. It's a left-wing group. Quote, we're pleased that the U.S. Supreme Court rejected the legislative defendant's shameless attempt to impose their gerrymandered congressional map upon North Carolina. (laughs) This is a welcome victory for the people of our state and our Constitution. They sound more evil when I read them in that voice, don't they? All right. Monday's ruling means that the congressional map is now locked in. The, the, as I mentioned earlier, this is only about the Congress seats, the 10, or sorry, the 14 congressional seats. The maps for the state legislature, those were already decided, okay? Uh, Hillary Harris-Klein is a lawyer who was involved in suing the legislature over the original maps for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, founded by the state Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls, who then ruled on the case involving her former colleagues and organizations she founded. Anyway, uh, it's all totally above board. Today's move by the court reinforces that legislatures do not have a free pass to violate protections against partisan gerrymandering when drawing districts that undeniably hurt the voters. We have statements from the uh, Republicans as well. Um... Where is it? Oh, here we go. It's in the stack of stuff. This is from Senator Berger's office. Senate leader Phil Berger released the following statement. Quote, we are disappointed in the U.S. Supreme Court's decision allowing elections under a congressional map drawn by the conflict-ridden special masters to continue. While we're focusing on the 2022 elections, we will continue to evaluate this decision and next steps in this case. Here's the state GOP statement. And they had filed, I believe, an amicus brief in this case, too. We are disappointed in the uh, that the court declined to hear the appeal. As four of the justices pointed out, the North Carolina courts have taken it upon themselves, themselves to draw congressional maps in violation of the Constitution, which raises very serious issues we hope will be addressed by the Supreme Court in the future. All right. So that is what he's hinting at there, or the GOP is hinting at there, that is the independent state legislature theory, okay? The independent state legislature theory. What is it? Let me jump over here to electionlawblog.org. A piece written by, I assume, some lefties, because they are of an organization called Protect Democracy and What I have learned is that when you stick the word democracy in the title of your organization, it means Democrat. Okay, Helen White and Cameron Kistler, they're talking about this uh, independent state legislature theory, and they actually cite the North Carolina case uh, in making the Supreme Court. In the briefest terms, proponents of the theory assert that because the elections clause of Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution empowers state legislatures to prescribe the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives. That's the language from the Constitution. And because it says that, that legislatures prescribe those things, the state legislature and only the state legislature therefore possesses near absolute power to regulate elections unconstrained by the state constitution, the state courts, or the state executive branch. Republicans in North Carolina invoked that theory. 
This has been their argument, that the state legislature is named specifically in the U.S. Constitution as being the one to prescribe the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives. And that means the map drawn by the court was not drawn by the state legislature, which means it's an unconstitutional map. That was what the General Assembly was trying to test. And the Supreme Court denied that appeal. Let me bounce over here to the Supreme Court. I will get back to that theory. In its denial, here is Kavanaugh writing for the majority. It's this called the, uh, the petition is called a writ of certiorari or certiori. And it's basically, it's a, it's a request. It's a decision to hear an appeal. That's what it's Latin or whatever. And it's like, please hear this appeal. This is our writ asking for it. And they said denied. They say, or this is what Kavanaugh writes. I agree with Justice Alito, who wrote the dissent. I agree with Justice Alito that the underlying elections clause question raised in the emergency application is important and that both sides have advanced serious arguments on the merits. The issue is almost certain to keep arising until the court definitively resolves it. Therefore, if the court receives petitions for certiorari raising the issue, I believe that the court should grant certiorari in an appropriate case, either in this case from North Carolina or in a similar case from another state. And if the court does so, the court can then carefully consider and decide the issue next term after full briefing and oral arguments. In their emergency application, however, the legislators are asking this court for extraordinary interim relief, namely an order from this court requiring North Carolina to change its existing congressional election districts for the upcoming primary and general elections. But this court has repeatedly ruled that federal courts ordinarily should not alter state election law in the period close to an election. This is what's called the Purcell principle. The Purcell principle is that's precedent. And I'll get into that after the bottom of the hour newscast, but the Purcell principle basically says you really shouldn't throw a monkey wrench into the operations of elections so close to the election. And a lot of things have to happen. You got to print up ballots. You got candidate filings. There are a lot of things that are in law. So we are too close. And so the court, this was the same thing that the court said down in Alabama. They made the same ruling in that case down there. And of course the leftists were like, they're letting unconstitutional maps stand. Well, yeah, because the Purcell principle, and that's the same reason they denied this appeal yesterday. It was not on the merits. All right, so the U.S. Supreme Court voted 6-3 to three to deny state lawmakers' request to block a court-drawn congressional map for North Carolina for just this year. I always want to point that out as well. We're just talking about this year's congressional race, the 14 districts that we have, because these are state court-ordered maps drawn by their special masters, and 
these, by law, they only hold for one election cycle. So the legislature will be drawing another set of maps. And that's why this election is so critical for the state Supreme Court races. There are two seats open, both currently held by Democrats, one of whom is retiring and one of whom is running for re-election. And if Republicans can flip one of them, then they will have the majority. And all of a sudden, the courts are not going to be handing wins to Democrats every single time they darken the door of the courthouse. With the U.S. Supreme Court decision, North Carolina should now be able to proceed without further legal roadblocks towards a May 17th primary. Uh, The three-judge Superior Court panel upheld separate maps for the state lawmaker uh, districts. The North Carolina Supreme Court declined all requests to reverse the Superior Court decision. And so candidate filing for the primaries ended on Friday, which was like Christmas for me. So I mentioned this earlier, the Purcell Principle. I'll just, uh, this is from Ballotpedia. The Purcell Principle is a legal principle establishing that courts should not change election rules during the period just prior to an election because it could confuse voters and election officials. Now, um, that is uh, not specific, that does not pertain to or apply to left-wing lawyers and election officials who apparently can rewrite law right before an election. That's totally fine. Um, It came out of the uh, 2006 case in which the Supreme Court reversed a decision uh, out of an Arizona voter identification law during a midterm election. Okay, uh, what else do we have? Oh, the actual opinion. This is the dissent from Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. They say that they would have granted the stay. They would, they would have granted the lawmakers' request for a delay to stay that ruling They said this case presents an exceptionally important and recurring question of constitutional law, namely the extent of a state court's authority to reject rules adopted by a state legislature for use in conducting federal elections. There can be no doubt that this question is of great national importance, but we have not yet found an opportune occasion to address the issue. Now, one of the problems here, just as an aside, is that Democrats so, so wish that there was some specific language in the North Carolina state constitution that they could more easily twist to make their case that, oh, well, they meant partisan gerrymandering, right? They, but they can't do that. They, they've been trying. And with every argument and lawsuit that they file, uh, they, they keep twisting a little bit more of the language. And I, I think they'll get there at some point. Of course, we've always been at war with Oceana. Anyway, um, we will have, this is back to the dissenting opinion, we will have to resolve this question sooner or later, and the sooner we do so, the better. This case presented a good opportunity to consider the issue, but unfortunately, the court has again found the occasion inopportune. That's the Purcell principle. In my view, says Alito, the applicants have shown that the question presented by this case easily satisfies our usual criteria for review. It is also likely that they would prevail on the merits if review were granted. 
So you already have three judges that said, yeah, we probably would have ruled with the lawmakers on this and thrown out those maps. The elections clause provides that rules governing the times, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives must be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. This clause could have said that these rules are to be prescribed by each state, which would have left it up to each state to decide which branch or component or officer of the state government should exercise that power. Because states are generally free to allocate state power as they choose. But that's not what the elections clause in our U.S. Constitution said. Right? It specifies a particular organ of a state government, and we must take that language seriously. State Supreme Court, the North Carolina State Supreme Court rejected the maps and ultimately ordered their own to be drawn by the special masters. The court justified its actions on the ground that the General Assembly's maps constituted partisan gerrymanders and thus violated a congeries of state constitutional provisions. But none of these provisions say anything about partisan gerrymandering. And all but one make no reference to elections at all. The most relevant provision in our state constitution simply says, quote, all elections shall be free. This is what I mean by the twisting of the language. This is how the left twisted the language. This guarantee of free elections dates all the way back to the North Carolina Constitution of 1776. But for 246 years, that language was not found to prohibit partisan gerrymandering, which I feel the need to point this out to Justice Alito. That's because Democrats were doing it. See, it's different when Democrats do it. When they were gerrymandering, because they controlled state government for like all of our history, um, it's okay when they do it. That was different. They didn't realize it was unconstitutional until Republicans took power. See? Obviously. In 2015, the state Supreme Court held that a partisan gerrymandering challenge had failed because it was not based on a justiciable or judiciable, I don't even know how to pronounce that word, justiciable standard, one that could be adjudicated. We have a ruling on this. We have precedent on this. Our own state Supreme Court said Our state constitution doesn't address partisan gerrymandering, so we cannot rule on this. That was our precedent. And the current state Supreme Court just obliterated that precedent. Okay? So keep that in mind when you hear the leftists in North Carolina complaining about, oh, they're going to read something into the law, they're going to reverse a prior something or other. They, They do not care about precedent. They care about the current case and will it win. Will this argument win right now? That's what's important. It's Calvin Ball. Calvin Ball. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Um, back to the Supreme Court's denial of this request. Oh, speaking of request, I request your presence at the WBT 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. It is on Saturday, April 9th at Halton Theater at CPCC, 7.30, Saturday the 9th. Tickets on sale now at WBT.com. we got to pay for the venue, guys. Um, and you can join me. You can join all of the BT alumni, the largest gathering of BT alum in one place at one time ever. 
Um, and we're going to induct three new members into the WBT Hall of Fame. John Stokes, Bob Lacey, and Jim Zoki, all worthy additions. So get your seats now. Go to WBT.com for the details. All right, so uh, back to the state or the U.S. Supreme Court. The dissent from Justice Alito, joined by Clarence Thomas and um, Neil Gorsuch, they said that, look, this is an important issue that the state legislature of North Carolina is raising, that their courts have essentially divined a new meaning to words that never had that meaning before. They are reinterpreting the definition of words, and this needs to be addressed. And so they think they thought that the legislature should have been able to make their case. They said that the most relevant portion uh, of the state constitution talks about free elections, and that goes all the way back to the founding of the state. And in 2015, the state Supreme Court said that a partisan gerrymandering challenge could not continue because it's not based on any kind of a standard that is uh, judiciable. Only this year did the state Supreme Court change course and discern in the state constitution a judicially enforceable prohibition of partisan gerrymandering. What does that mean? It means they made it up. It means they, only now did they just figure this out. After 246 years, four Democrat lawyers wearing robes, they've decided that now this standard should include partisan gerrymandering, even though it never did before. Explaining the reasons for this new interpretation, the court noted that the state constitution is difficult to amend and that North Carolina is a state without a citizen referendum process. Okay, the state constitution is not difficult to amend. We've amended it. We just did it twice. And you guys sued over it on voter ID and an income tax cap. So it's not difficult to amend. You just have to have the legislature run a referendum to the people to vote on it. And then it becomes part of the Constitution. The court concluded that the only way that partisan gerrymandering can be addressed is through the courts. And that is a lie. There's a flat out lie. These explanations have the hallmarks of legislation is what Alito wrote. Meanwhile, uh, the legislature contends that the state Supreme Court took it upon itself to decide the manner in which the state's congressional elections will be held and that the court therefore usurped the power that the elections clause confines to the legislature. So this is the theory that I mentioned earlier, the independent state legislature theory. So back to the protect democracy people writing at electionlawblog.org. Uh, They say that uh, this is now, it finally got to the U.S. Supreme Court. These briefs are not a a mere rehash of prior cases. One argument raised by uh, both of these, uh, the other parties, Common Cause and the League of Conservation Voters, relies on, get this, new historical research showing that the original public meaning of the term legislature necessarily included both the substantive and procedural constraints contained in state constitutions. In their hot-off-the-press piece, they explain that state constitutionalism was the heart and soul legally of the American Revolution. Through state constitutions, the people of each state delegated their sovereign power to state legislatures. Thus, state constitutions were understood at the founding 
to define the scope of state legislatures legitimate authority as delegated by the people at the most basic level what a legislature is can be defined only in relation to the constitution that creates it are, are you following this this meandering line of thinking thus at the founding just as now the meaning of the term state legislature is found not in a general dictionary definition but in the powers, processes, and constraints included in each state's constitution. So we are now to believe, based on this brand new legal reasoning just rolled out by the left at the most convenient of times, that when the founders said state legislatures, they didn't mean the legislative bodies. They meant the constitution and the legislative body and the constraints that are in the Constitution, and I think the people, too. This is when, when, when you talk to people on the right who are concerned about judicial activism, this is it, folks. This is it. This is what we've been talking about. The League of Conservation Voters also relied on Hayward Smith's new, again, exhaustive account of the founding era understanding of the word legislatures. Smith recounts that two drafters of the legislature language in the analogous provision in the electors clause in article two subsequently were heavily involved in adopting state constitutions that constrained state legislatures when exercising their power under the election clause. See, so we're just going to, you know, make some conclusions. We read some guys, they were involved in this process, and then they went to work on some state constitutions, they did some stuff that probably they would be on our side now, and so we think that's what they probably would have meant at that time. Even though we can't prove that, we're just going to, you know, run the permutations on that. We're going to extrapolate it. Oh, it's like the modeling. That's what it is. It's like modeling, but with words and meaning. Now all the words get to be redefined based on whatever modeling is necessary to project whatever is the best path forward for us and us, it would be the lefties. This is what we talk about on judicial activism. This is the independent state legislature theory that will be tested. That is my prediction. It will be tested next, uh, well, yeah, next year. When they start doing the next maps, the legislature does the next congressional maps because they're going to have to. Because the ones that we've got for this election are not going to stand for more than one election cycle. So next year, when they start in on the next redistricting process and they start drawing maps and they start getting sued, likely before they even finish drawing the maps, then we're going to have this test probably go all the way to the Supreme Court again. And we're going to get a test of this theory. Does the word legislature actually mean legislature? Or do we get to redefine that? Sort of like a, sort of like a redefinition of the right to privacy includes abortion. Like that. Like those kinds of rewrites. The applicants, the Supreme Court dissenters, they also said that that this would not have caused serious disruption to the elections, and so they would have granted the stay. But they were in the minority. But they could be in the majority next year if Kavanaugh jumps ship. But they're still going to have to peel off either Roberts or Barrett. So not sure how that's going to work out. All right, Brett Winterville coming up next. Stay tuned, and I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.